Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Let's give our attention to Jim Murphy. He's going to lead us in our scripture reading from the book of Luke. During the high priesthood of Anas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his, thresh, his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. The Gospel of the Lord. All right. Well, we're going to talk about this uh, passage of Scripture for uh, a little bit the next two weeks, all of today and then a little bit of next week as well. We'll look at it from different angles for each of those times. But uh, as I mentioned, we always get this reading, the baptism of Jesus, in Epiphany. And Epiphany is the season in the church calendar where we remind ourselves how Jesus has manifested himself to the world. And so we look at the star of the Magi, and we look at the wedding at Cana. Last week, Eric Seidel led us in a reflection on that passage. And we remember uh, the ways that God shows us through Jesus how he is and who he is to the world. And Jesus' baptism in the story that was just read by Jim here I think it's just one of the most insightful reflections on how God shows up in the world. This is where Jesus makes his entrance into ministry after 30 years of uh, kind of living in the background, uh, the vast majority of his life that we hear almost nothing about. And then here he is. And he is baptized and uh, then he is led into the wilderness, and there's a lot there. And so we'll meander a little bit today. I hope that we can use reflecting on this verse as a way of talking about our community's desires, our individual desires, perhaps our disillusionment at times with the nature of life. I want to talk about deconstruction and doubt and disorder and also hope and longing and desire. 
And so we'll sit in conversation with this text and all of the interplays that happen here between John and Jesus, and we'll reflect on the implications for our lives through that and also our life together through that. So primarily today is focused on what's happening in our own hearts, and then next week we'll actually reapply this same framework to our shared life together as a church, and I'm really excited about that, uh, and, and I'll talk more about that. But let's begin reflecting on this passage where the passage ends, which is with the baptism of Jesus. And so verses 21 and 22 are going to come up on the screen, and as they do, uh, we'll just reflect on this idea that Jesus is baptized into John's baptism of repentance. Uh, and let's reflect on that. Why, why does Jesus join in a baptism of repentance when he has nothing to repent of? Um, you know, we would confess that Jesus is without sin. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. And yet he joins the baptism of repentance along with all the other people. And uh, I think this is a fascinating thing, and, and to not belabor it, I think Michael Brearley just gets to this really beautifully with these words. And so if you can go to the next slide for me, Danny. Um, uh, the next one is Michael Brearley talking. There it is, and he says this. He says, Jesus simply got in line with everyone who had been broken by the wear and tear of the world. When the line of downtrodden and sin-sick people formed, in hopes of a new beginning through a return to God, God got in line with them. And uh, so we see something here of the identification of God with our human condition, the continuation of the incarnation of God with us, God taking on flesh to join us, God meeting us where we are. Uh, and so we see that in the baptism of Jesus. And I want to uh, then notice the, the, the context, the conditions, the actual geography and location that this passage happens in. And we see it at the beginning here. It says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And then at the end of the passage, we know what happens. Jesus is led where? Into the wilderness. So the passage begins and ends in the wilderness. And in the middle of it, the epiphany, the voice of belovedness spoken over Jesus. Sometimes I assume, and you've probably, uh, if you've been around the parish, you've heard me reference this idea before. I think it's a really core paradigm for our spiritual formation. Um, sometimes I assume that if I can just hear the beloved voice of God speak over my life from the heart of the Father enough, then the struggle will go away. Right? I will be led from belovedness into promised land. But the wilderness, the scripture is so clear about this in place after place, in scene after scene, in story after story. The wilderness sits in the middle. There is belovedness, there is wilderness, there is eventually wholeness where there's the realization of the belovedness, but we sit in the in-between struggle that is both barren and beautiful, and we try to make sense of what has been spoken over us in the struggle of daily life, in the struggle of wilderness. And so even there, Jesus shows up. He stands in the line with us in the wilderness uh, in order to join us there. But we live in the wilderness world. And in the middle of that, not only does God speak over Jesus in love, God speaks over us in love, right? What is characteristic of Jesus is characteristic of our lives. And so in the wilderness is where we begin. I want to turn back to John the Baptist now, and uh, we'll go to verses 2 and 3, uh, which are actually what's already on the screen, so you can just keep that there. 
And, uh, you know, John comes into the scene. He comes out of the wilderness. He proclaims this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then we get this. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah. Expectation and questions. And I highlighted those words there because... I wonder how much of life is expectations and questions. Like if we really get into the guts of our life, what is beneath the surface, so much has to do with our questions and with our longings, our hopes, our desires, our expectations for the way life will be. And in this context, the people just had this expectation that a Messiah is going to come. He's going to save them from destruction. He's going to lead them into the formation of a beloved community together. And then John shows up on the scene. And John is passionate and he's powerful and he's prophetic. And everybody's going, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the, the, the appearance of the one that I have been waiting for. And the people are confused as to where to find hope, where to place their longings. They wonder, is he the one? Is he the Messiah? And I think this text then is getting at our own human condition because all of us bring with us our hopes and our fears and our questions and our expectations, and it is right and good and human to have those desires, those longings. Those are often God-authored longings, and it's right and good to have places where we desire to invest those hopes and desires and longings, and yet I think if we're honest, we often end up misplacing them. We often end up trying to, uh, you know, write the end of the story where this might be the thing I've been waiting for. That might be the one that I've been waiting for. This new break at work, this new relationship, this next approach or podcast or book or life hack or that new church community. This is the one. Is this what I've been waiting for that will make it all click, that will make the wilderness disappear so that it's all smooth sailing from here? And so they asked John, like, are you the one? And uh, in John chapter 1, verse 20, we get John's response. He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. I am not the one who will save you. And I think so often in life, we fill in the blank around X, that this might be the thing that will deliver me. This might be the thing that will rescue me. This might be the thing that will save me. And how often we need to come back to this text, X is not the Messiah. You know, fill in the blank. It is not the Messiah. There is only one Messiah. And so John, rather than being the Messiah, he's functioning like the water-to-wine miracle at Cana function that we looked at last week. He is merely a sign pointing the way to a greater glory. He is merely a messenger who is preparing the way for the arrival of the message itself. And so often I mistake the messenger for the message. I get a little glimpse of something that reflects God's love for me, that belovedness spoken over me, and I think that thing that reflected it to me is the source rather than just the messenger, right? So like in other words, I get this glimpse of my belovedness and my spouse's love for me, and then all of a sudden, I do this little internal shift where rather than just being grateful for that, I start to expect and demand that she'll meet all of my needs, right? 
Or I get a sense of my vocation and my job and then I begin building an identity around it. Or I, I you know, am affirmed on some social media platform and now I'm spending my time doubling down trying to receive purpose and love there. And all these things can mirror our belovedness to us, but they cannot give our belovedness to us. And so we come back to that which is really the Messiah. And I think that's the tension in the text today, right? On the one hand, we've got this ultimate belovedness spoken from the eternal heart of love that is God, pure gift, first thing. And then we've got all the other stuff that is good and is legitimate and is right, but is second things. And we bring all that stuff, our longings for fulfillment and consummation in things that are less than the lover's voice. And so there's this contrast in the text. That which is the Messiah, right? this is my son. That's what the voice says. And that which is not the Messiah, I am not the one. And like it is for the, wild, for the Israelites, like it was for the Israelites, for us, the wilderness is the context where we make sense of that tension. We show up in this wilderness life, and God sorts it all out in our hearts. And that looks like a long journey, a journey that seems to take a lot longer than it feels like it should if you just look at a map. It looks like the exposing of our idols. It looks like the exposing of our demanding. I want water. I want manna. I want meat. I want all this stuff, you know, and, and, and God is doing deep work, providing work. He's getting at the longings of our heart. And, and I think if we're honest, that can just be really painful. It can be really painful sometimes. Uh, sometimes we are not given that which we assumed was actually essential. Like the things that we thought went even without saying like, I don't even think I need to name that this is obviously part of my birthright, <laughs> right? And uh, especially for those of us who come from contexts where we have had most of our needs provided for most of our lives. And, uh, and so this is what happens to John in the text. If we look at what happens next in the text, if you go to the next one for me, uh, John is put into prison, right? We get this strange little aside that Herod the ruler uh, who had been rebuked because of Herodias, his brother's wife. So long, long dramatic story, but Herod fell in love with his brother's wife, and so, uh, you know, he decided to marry her instead, and John the Baptist wasn't having it, and so he's like, that, that ain't right. And, uh, and then because of that, he is thrown in prison. And um, he ends up in prison, and spoiler alert, he never gets out, right? He spends the rest of his life in prison, this one preparing the way. Spends the rest of his life in prison. And we get this, if you'll go to the next one for me. John in prison, right? We're jumping to a different part of the Gospels here, but it's the next part of the story. Perhaps years down the road, John's been lingering and languishing in prison. And he hears what the Messiah is doing, what the one who actually is Messiah is doing. And he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? And I think it's fascinating that what we have here is that the very thing that was asked of John is now asked by John, right? John knew the answer to the question until he started to live the question for himself, right? And how often is that true? Like, we have the answers until we experience the suffering, the struggle, the nuance, the complexity ourselves, and all of a sudden we find ourselves with a lot less certainty and a lot of questions. And so John is giving voice to disillusionment, to perhaps resentment, to frustration, to despair, because this did not pan out the way he thought it would, right? He did the faithful thing. He prepared the way. 
He came out of the wilderness. He spoke the truth to power, and he ends up in prison. And there, it's like the struggle. You can see his own internal dialogue. Like, this is not panning out like I thought it was going to. And his dreams begin to die, right? We sang those lyrics earlier today, you're never going to let me down. <laughs> and, and, and of course, at its essence, at its deepest level, that is true. But I think if we're honest, also it is true that there are times where we're like, God, it feels like you let me down. This did not pan out the way that I thought we had agreed upon, right? And so there's this, there's this pain. There's a song by John Guerra uh, that puts some modern words around what I think John the Baptist might have been feeling in prison. He says this, he says, I have a heart full of questions, quieting all my suggestions. What is the meaning of Christian in this American life? I'm feeling awfully foolish spending my life on a message. Now I look around and wonder if I ever heard it right. And sometimes the hours in prayer and the vision we had and the hope that that relationship could be repaired doesn't pan out. And there's real loss here and God cares so deeply about that loss. But it's only natural that John's question becomes ours. Like, are you really the one, Jesus? I think a lot of the stuff we see culturally, if you follow cultural Christianity on Twitter, right, a lot of the deconstruction, a lot of the doubt is a healthy human response to a lot of toxicity and disappointment. And we end up asking the question, like, this thing I felt so certain about, like, like is this really real? So I'll invite you to consider what are you bringing today that is achy in your heart like that? The song continues. He says, coming to you because I'm confused. Coming to you because I feel used. Coming to weep while I'm waiting. Tell me you won't let me go. I need to know there is justice and that it will roll in abundance. And so John's disciples go to Jesus and they ask him the question, like, are you really the one? And Jesus replies in the next one, he says, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. He's basically recounting the job description that he proclaims in Luke 4 is what's going to mark the Messiah. And he says, these things are happening. These things are happening. He basically says back to John, I did all the stuff I said I was going to do. It just has not panned out for your story the way you assumed it would in light of that. And that's where the pain is. And then, and then you know, Jesus says this, this line, blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. And I think what he's getting at here is that what trips us up, what causes the stumble, is when the things don't pan out the way we expected. The deepest stuff might be happening. God is faithful. God is true. God is not letting us down. But so often, we fill in the blanks of what that will look like in our lives. And that's what I want to get at today. I don't want you to mishear me. Having the desire, having the longing, having the dream, having the hope, these are good, God-authored, God-initiated things. They're, they're healthy, they're right, they're good. They're often echoes of the deepest longing of the heart of God showing up in our lives. A longing for beauty, a longing for purpose, a longing for meaning, a longing for justice, a longing for things to be set right. 
we should have those hopes. And what I don't want you to hear me saying is, let all your earthly hopes go and just have a a spiritual hope instead or a heavenly hope instead. No, 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 no. That's not the good news. But the good news is that sometimes when the blanks don't fill in the way we thought, God is still at work there too, and God is standing in line with the weary world there too. And so what I'm getting at today is not in having the hopes, but in rather where we try to write the story ourselves. And then we end up holding God and others uh, to account when the story we wrote that they never agreed on hasn't panned out the way that we thought it would. And so uh, we'll start to wrap this up, but, but what I want to get at is this. Um, I think a lot of times disillusionment has to do with our unagreed upon outcomes. We have these misplaced expectations. We fill in the blanks, and we end up with either doubt about God and life, disillusionment, or it's like, this did not pan out. Or perhaps we end up with a lot of self-doubt, which I'm calling anti-belovedness up there. We end up with what is like this wounded competitiveness where we're looking around at our life and we're looking around at the life of others and we go, this, what, about, what about them? What about that thing? I think this is one of the reasons why social media can be so insidious because often when we are at our most exhausted, most depleted, we try to check out and what we find on social media are the lives of everybody else who has everything going <laughs> exactly right or so it seems, right? And... And, and in fact, a lot of times what we're seeing is the fulfillment of the dream we had that has not panned out for us but appears to be panning out for them. Look at them on their vacation. Look at them with their new book deal. Look at the influence that person is having. And we end up with this competitive emptiness because we've filled in the blank of expectations. We end up gut, punch, gut punched and resentful and angry. And I think also burnout has something to do with expectation because we're so sure of how X will go. And then if it doesn't, it's like, well, why was I even doing X in the first place, right? I'll tell you a brief story about this that's just really light, and then we'll, we'll wind this down. Um, I went to a school retreat. I'm, I'm working on a doctoral program, and a uh, big part of my dissertation has to do with the story of Peter and Jesus, but part of it has to do with this whole belovedness, wilderness, wholeness motif that's in scripture. So I wrote this paper and I felt really good about it. And it's basically like my presentation of like, this is what I'm going to spend the next three years working on. And, and, and I kind of internally, without even noticing it, so subtly, I started thinking like, this is going to really resonate with people. Like they're going to be like, whoa, I've never seen that. You know, <laughs> like, we just all laugh at me for this. And I get there and I present my paper and y'all, it is crickets. Like nobody got what I was trying to do. And it was like my, my good embarrassment of the week. And it plunged me into this place of frustration. Like I am doing this program precisely because of this project and this project is not resonating. And God, I thought, and that's where it hits me, like, I wrote a part of the story. God, God invited me to do the program. He never told me what the outcome was going to be. I wrote that part of the story. And so, uh, but there's burnout in that moment where I'm like, I don't even want to do this anymore. <laughs> so, let's end with this. 
I think Jesus here, when he says, blessed are you who are not stumbled or not offended in certain translations, it can almost seem dismissive and cold, but I think what he's really saying is like, don't let the stumble be the end of the story. Don't let the fractured expectation be the end of the relationship or the end of the passion. Uh, But instead, let the ache of the displaced and deferred hope open up a place of encounter with God. Because if we have eyes to see it, we can bring lament and longing into that place and we can see that like God is at work at a deeper level and in fact might be doing his best work. If I can just keep showing up, I'll notice that, that God is in line with me, so to speak. And so do we continue to pray? Yes. Do we continue to work for the integration of good news in our lives? Yes. Do we continue to dream and have stories and hope for goodness in our story? Yes, but we also hunger for eyes to see God with us in the reality of the wilderness today, in the thorns of the wilderness today, saying, my grace is sufficient for you. And we trust that God is safely storing up our longings in his care, and one day he will set all things right. And so I'm going to invite us to do this uh, in just a moment of practice here, and then we'll come to the table. I invite you to just open up your own heart for a moment here. And get in touch with your hopes and your desires and your questions and your expectations. And just talk to God about it. Let it open up a place of encounter. And then notice that God gets in line with you in your weariness, just to participate with you. Yeah, just have a conversation with him for a moment. Some of this brings up just lighthearted stories like my silliness over my paper. But some of this taps into deep stuff. Have mercy on us, God. You are the author of life. Forgive us for taking the pen into our hand. And yet also, God, would you care, and we know you do, but we just want to vocalize our desire for you to care about these dreams. In fact, remind us, in fact, that, that so often what is really at the bottom of these dreams and these desires and these hopes is from you in the first place. So would you safely hold us? Would you care as you do so well? And help us now to come to the table with hands wide open, trusting you with things we could never hold on to in the first place.
pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So next week, we'll apply this framework to our shared church life and talk about our collective hopes and desires and dreams. And uh, I do want to say the staff investry, we've been working really, really hard on post-pandemic community and formation, right? Like, I think it is fair to say this has been an isolating and divisive time in general, but it's been hard in the church also. Like, it just even any given Sunday, like, who's, who's out sick that week or who's quarantining that week? Or, and and I, I just sense in my life this hunger for deep formation and for deep relationship. And, uh, and so we're, gonna, we're actively working on those things. We have like concrete, tangible things that we'll share over the months ahead. But also we say, church is not the one, right? Like that too is not the place we place our desires. Community is not the one. Messiah is the one.